Hello, and welcome to the Paleo Baby Podcast. I am Julie Kelly, as usual, and today I am joined by Erica Holmes, MFT, who is MFT is marriage family therapist. Um, but today we're here; she's here to talk to us about lots of things because she's got some wonderful specialties that I think overlap nicely with some of the things that we talk about regularly. And you know, Nourish Balance Thrive, we focus a lot on working with athletes, and then you know, coming from the paleo community perspective. Um, I think there's always a lot of questions that we get about things ranging from disordered eating to other behavioral things surrounding food and also exercise. So I think there's a lot of overlap and I think a lot of you will have some insight and connection to some of the things that we talk about today. If not, you've maybe um, you know, struggled with some of the stuff yourself, um, whether it's related to pregnancy and childbirth or you were an athlete. And so I think there's a lot of things that we can talk about. We can probably talk for hours. <laughs> I'm happy to have you, Erica. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great. So like I said in the introduction, you know, we work a lot with athletes, but then on the Paleo Baby podcast side, you know, I tried to talk to, you know, moms and experts who are are really kind of trying to help people just live better, healthier lives. And clearly we have a little bit of a bias in that we're, you know, from the paleo perspective. But one of the things that I, you know, I wanted to talk to you about first was this idea of of disordered eating. You know, I think it's the term is thrown around around a lot and I'm not exactly sure that everybody really has a, a firm grasp on, on what that means, what it, what it can look like. So so can you kind of give us a, a little bit of background on, on what disordered eating can look like and, and some of the things that, you know, somebody might be able to look at a list of behaviors and say, oh yeah, that, that's disordered eating. So disordered eating kind of, there's a big range of it. The overarching thing is that eating and food has taken a role in your life or has impacted your life more so than would be normal. So maybe like an overemphasis on food or an overemphasis on a particular behavior around food. So that can look like you're really selective about eating, or maybe it doesn't raise quite to the level of an eating disorder, but you're super obsessed with counting calories or carbs or fat or whatever it might be. Or maybe you're, you don't follow normal eating patterns that would be like quote unquote normal. Um, and that impacts your ability to be social or it causes anxiety. Um, it just kind of leaves you outside of the norm and, and has an impact in your life more so than just eating for fuel, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I guess I'm just in my head, I'm thinking, you know, then what defines normal? Because I'm thinking of my husband, for example. So, you know, he was he was really sick when we met and, you know, through through changing our diet drastically and going, you know, using the the paleo autoimmune protocol and doing extensive work with functional medicine and, and discovering that, you know, he's probably celiac and, you know, he's had all, he had all these, you know, gut issues and, you know, over the course of a year and a half, you know, really doing a lot of healing, you know, he's very selective about, mm -hmm. about what he eats and he's very selective about, um, you know, his health and, you know, he's done a lot to educate himself. And I know he's an extreme example, but I'm just wondering because, you know, he gets frustrated a lot when people accuse him of, of being, you know, orthorexic or, or having disordered eating because he, um, you know, he just said, well, I dare you to feel as badly as I felt and uh -huh. to feel as good as I feel now and want to eat those things again. 
or make that or even, you know, compromise even a little bit my health just to, to feel quote unquote normal. So I, you know, and I know that he's not alone in that. Cause I, I know there's, there must be varying degrees of that. So I guess, I guess that's my question is once you've, you've become healthy or you, um, you start to see the light and you start to understand that maybe what other people think is normal isn't really healthy. Right. We're in such like a weird society where what would be deemed normal is super unhealthy. Like I think normal's a tough kind of thing parameter. I think it needs to be more individual where you can't just say that eating like the, the diet that Chris is on, like that for somebody may be so strict and so limiting and cause distress or impact their ability to reach their goals or live a value-driven and healthy life. And that would be disordered eating because their food and their eating patterns have caused disorder in their life and their priorities and values and living like a life that's meaningful for them. Mm -hmm. But if you're healthy and you feel like you're living a life that's like value driven and you can maintain relationships and it's not impacting you, then I mean, it, it is what it is. And maybe that's healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you've got to be really brutally radically honest with yourself to be able to delineate that. And sometimes people can get in deep enough where maybe they don't even see it. And someone from the outside, a friend, family member, loved one, coworker, professional is going to say like, Hey, maybe this has gotten a little extreme or maybe it's a little bit weird or it's caught what was done mm-hmm. initially for health reasons is now causing health consequences mm-hmm. um, where like a good thing gone bad. So I think it needs to be pretty individualized. Yeah, no, definitely. So I'm, I'm curious how, how you got, um, you know, interested in this kind of as, as a specialty and, and if there was something, you know, driving you, because I think it takes a special person to be able to identify that range because there's definitely, you know, a lot of clinicians, a lot of practitioners who, who aren't really willing to say that there's varying degrees of normal when it comes to healthy eating and aren't willing to recognize kind of that even the diet plays an important role in mental health. So, so I, I was excited when, you know, when I, I, we, we got in touch because I think it's, it's really great to, to meet people who, who are have an open mind to the fact that all of this stuff matters, right? And um, and, and it's a spectrum of of health, and it's a spectrum. You know, diet is involved, and um, you know, you need mental health support as well. So I'm I'm really curious as to kind of what drove you towards you know the specialties that you have. Oof, that's a big question. Um, so I think I come kind of naturally to some of it. My dad's a chiropractor, and so I grew up with kind of a holistic viewpoint. I was always a a little bit wary of some of just like being spoon fed Western medicine Mm -hmm. and grew up with kind of a a skeptical questioning, like maybe there is some truth to what something besides the normal Western viewpoint. Mm -hmm. I think that from a very, very, very early age started to inform just being open to looking at a, at things more holistically. And I think just from seeing, uh, working in different facilities um, and working with a broad range of different clients, 
and hearing a bunch of different perspectives from doctors um, and different perspective from clients and for whatever reason, been really open to taking what the client says at face value and not thinking that I know better necessarily and really honestly believing that 99.9% of the times there's a really good and valid reason why someone's doing what they're doing and maybe I should listen to that mm-hmm. and take it into account. So if someone says that they're feeling better by doing a certain thing, like being really like open-minded to that and being curious about it rather than just saying like that's wrong or that's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And what have you seen? I mean, in terms of working with people, I mean, like if you work with a lot, with a lot of people with eating disorders, I mean, we work with, with a lot of athletes. So I guess, you know, we were talking before, before the show started about kind of just the overlap of, of our, of our populations and how, you know, there's bound to be ways for us to kind of even, you know, make referrals back and forth because of mm-hmm. just the type of people that we work with. So I'm kind of just wondering what is it? Like, what is kind of the profile or the, some of the driving factors that you see commonly in, in, in athletes or, or people, you know, what are the, what are the parallels that they share with, you know, people, you know, that typically are athletes. And then also that you find, you know, the overlap where there's disordered eating or eating disorders or exercise addiction, those kinds of things. Usually there's a strong perfectionistic streak, uh, high achieving, like your typical type A personality is going to be more likely to either go into um, like an ex- over-exercise or exercise addiction or disordered eating, verging into an eating disorder, um, especially on the restricting side, like the anorexia side of an eating disorder. Persistent, someone, it's not going to be someone who gives up easily, um, someone who's continually striving and and likes achievement and I think that's a lot of a lot of um looking for praise a lot of times I see people who other people really matter um and being seen really matters or giving praise really matters like a high reward dependent whether it be like a medal or that you got like the course record on Strava or that you <laughs> dropped a pant size or someone says, oh my God, you look great. Or wow, you've got such willpower for not eating that chocolate cake that's at the work party. So that that tends to be a big one too. Interesting. I guess I'm, I'm curious about, you know, maybe what, what the treatment looks like for this, because, you know, in, in our world, when we, you know, we, we run tests on people and we, you know, we look at their blood chemistry, we look at their organic acids, we look at, you know, whether or not they have any gut infections and, you know, we work on their nutrition and we work on, you know, some of their lifestyle things like reduction of sleep and, or excuse me, reduction of stress and increase of sleep. And, and, and a lot of, you know, we have this kind of this, this whole picture, but I'm, I definitely know that we've worked with people in the past who have, have struggled in the past with some of these issues that, are definitely more along the lines of a mental health issue. And while I think a lot of what we do probably helps move the needle in terms of their healing with their mental health, I'm, you know, my husband always talks about how it's kind of like a vicious cycle, how if you, if you have the behavior from, the, from in the beginning, it could lead you to you know, find healthy eating and, and healthy way of life, but then the healthy way, and that could, that could help your mental health, but then <laughs> the, the, healthy, the healthy thing could become the new addiction. And, you know, right. 
um, I'm just wondering how often that happens. So what would be the ideal kind of way to treat, treat this kind of behavior? Because I can, I can definitely see how if you have an addictive personality or you are one of these kind of real type A personalities who you're just going to find a new gold star that you're after. So what's like, how, how do we, how do we work through an issue like that? I mean, the the first step, it has got to be kind of working to get behaviors back in a a range of normal or Mm -hmm. a range of effective or a range of healthy. I think healthy is probably a better standard. Mm -hmm. Like, is your body actually healthy? Like, you may have heard that something does uh, is supposed to be good for you or that running a certain amount of time is supposed to be good for you, but is it good for you? Right. Not just is it good on average, but is it good for you? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting to also, I think one of the biggest things that's helpful is looking at values. Sometimes people can get so stuck in like, oh, I've got to win that race or I've got to drop five pounds, or I've got to really be avoiding whatever food group. Like I I read on a magazine that I'm not supposed to do any fats, so I'm not going to do, I don't think they'd do that anymore. It would be carbs now, but that I'm going to do that. And they get so like their focus just gets narrowed on that one aspect of life that they might lose out on. What do they really value and coming back to like, what are your values and let's get that back in balance. Like, I mean, even to be like, I don't, I don't think it's cheesy at all, but your, your thing is nourish, balance, thrive. And I think all of those need to be like nourished and balanced need to be there in order to thrive. So Mm -hmm. we need to not only do that on a body level, but do that on a relational level and like a goals level, bigger picture, and a values level of getting all of those kind of needs met and in balance. And yeah, if you want to be on a particular diet or lifestyle, and let's just, let's do that, but in a more balanced and effective way. Yeah, that sounds, you know, it's interesting because that's one of the things, you know, when I speak to people, you know, my focus is working with people on their nutrition and, and a lot of it, I would say is more along the lines of, of goal setting and just mm-hmm. constantly reassessing, you know, what is the actual goal here? Are we, um, you know, because we, we always ask what the overarching goal is, right? And so some people mm-hmm. come to us and they say, you know, I want to run the Boston Marathon, for example. And we say, okay, that's a great goal. And, and we, we want to get you healthy enough so that you can, you can achieve that goal and you can train to that goal. But then I always have to ask the question, you know, okay, if that's the overarching goal, that means that you have a lot of other goals. Because if your health isn't where it needs to be, then you cannot achieve that overarching goal. So mm-hmm. we have to set all of these kind of mini milestones for health before we can even really turn our attention to the bigger overarching goal. It's always there in the background, but it's not, you know, it can't, it cannot be the primary focus because there's no way that you can achieve the health that you need to, to get there by only focusing on that goal. So it's a lot of kind of uh, what's our goal for our health right now. And if that means, you know, removing all of the inflammatory foods so that we can, you know, reduce overall body inflammation and do a a big round of of gut healing and, you know, cleansing and and all of the things that we have to work through in in a protocol and anyone's given protocol, it's a lot of goal setting. It's a lot of, of that. And so is that something you know, that, that kind of self-reflection and kind of inward looking, it's almost like retraining because a lot of the people we work with, they, you know, when it comes to food, 
yeah, they're, they're all smart people. So they've done a lot of reading. They've done a lot of research. They think they know what they're supposed to be doing. And nine times out of 10, they're, they're pretty close, mm-hmm. but they haven't done what you said. They haven't looked and said, okay, is this right for me right now? And a lot of times it's not because they're not healthy. You know, they've got a gut infection or they've got, you know, lots of nutrient deficiencies or they're just flat out over-exercised and they need to rest and recover or focus on recovery. So I guess I'm just wondering if you could, you know, maybe tell us a story or a time of, of someone who, you know, has, has been through something like this and, and what that looks like. And is it something that is, you know, because we, we typically put a timeline on our recovery, you know, like our working with people, it's usually six months to a year and you'll be feeling really, really good. But I'm, I'm just wondering about the people that we've worked with who, you know, have had eating disorders in the past, you know, women athletes who, you know, struggled with eating disorders, maybe through high school and college. They were athletes. They were, you know, working out a ton. They have a very unhealthy body image of what they should look like now, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later um, after, you know, maybe even after having kids, <laughs> you know, struggling with right. fertility and having kids and all that. So they've been through the ringer and they still have this extremely high expectation and I always worry a little bit, even after we finished with our protocols with them and they're feeling really great. And it seems like they've got a really good handle on everything. I do worry about sending them back off into the wild because I, I worry that that's something that never really truly goes away. And, and I wonder what that kind of recovery looks like. Um, it takes a, a long time. If we're talking about like eating disorders, the range is two to 10 years for recovery and body image is always the last thing to go. That's always the biggest struggle because it's just in your face all the time. And even people, I I can't even say women at this point, like it's men and women are bombarded every day with all sorts of messages about what you're supposed to look like. Um, So that usually takes the longest, but it's continually choosing life and values and recovery and balance and goals over your eating disorder or disordered eating or overtraining, over exercising and continually coming back to like my goals and values. And in this moment, how do I take a step towards my goals and values and continually doing that? Like I had a, a patient, I was working at eating recovery center in Denver and we had a athlete, college athlete who came in and she was on the track team and they had basically had an intervention and said like, hey, you've taken this a bit too far. You're getting too thin. Um, she was still doing well in races, but they were worried about her health. And she came in and we really had to peel back the exercise because she had such a strong addiction to it that she couldn't really see clearly of what was going to be healthy and what was sustainable. She just got way too deep into it. But when we peeled that back, she also got to see like, hey, I have like these other, I love to sing and I like to dance and I like art and I'm really a great friend. Um, And she got to connect to those so that when she did go back to track, she could balance that out instead of doing a zillion and one crunches at night while her friends went out to a party, she could go do her track workout during the day, but then go to a party later so that she wasn't so single focused on running that she didn't have a life. Cause then you get to the point like, what for? Like, yeah, you've got a nice body and yeah, you're doing well in track, but that's all you got. And really taking a, a hard look at that of like, is that it? Like, 
is that all you want? And is, is it possible that there is more out there for you or more that you're passionate about or more that's interesting or that life could offer you besides this one very narrow thing? That's interesting. That kind of rung another bell because one of the other things that we we focus a lot on and that we've, we've seen, you know, when we start to work with someone, we have this, this health questionnaire that we give them and it and asks, you know, a lot of what seem probably to the outside person or lay person is, is really random questions. But, you know, it says a lot of, you know, in the last seven days, I have felt more irritated than somebody might know. And, you know, it says often or not, not ever. And it has lots of questions like that. It goes through digestion and everything like that. But I always look at the the more of the socially related questions, because I think I really worry about somebody's social isolation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely something that we focus on because, you know, there's lots of, of beautiful research that's been done about, about the, the health effects of social isolation. And we're, we are, we as humans are not really designed to be socially isolated. And yet in our society, now we are becoming more and more socially isolated. And I don't even think that people identify with it until you, you blatantly put it into terms that they they have to answer yes or no to. And when you do that, and then they, they look back and go, wow, yeah, like that, I, I don't have a lot of social interaction that makes me happy or fulfilled or, um, you know, replenished at the end of the day. And do you see, do you see that playing out in your practice? Do you see a lot of social isolation? And do you think that that's having um, ill effects on, on people's health that make it more difficult to, to help the, the mental illness factor of their health? Yeah. I mean, it's, it can kind of mask it. People can use that as a way of denial of if you're not having the mirror of someone in front of you saying like, wow, like you're, you look more tired or you're more irritable or like some of your behavior seems a little bit different. I mean, people can hide out in that of avoiding looking at the reality, but then isolation also, it's one of those things like with addiction where uh, who knows chicken or the egg and it depends mm. on the person, but maybe you're a little bit more isolated and then you get more depressed and then to manage your depression, you go and you run mm. and then you're running and you're tired. So you don't have time to go out and socialize as much after work. So you're isolated there. You're more depressed. The only time that you feel even a little bit good is running. And then it kind of like can feed off itself and just come like a, just a big gnarly cycle there. Yeah. That's interesting. I think that's one of the things that my husband was getting at when we were talking about, about what we were, we were going to talk about today. And I think that that's interesting way of, of looking at it. And, and I'm almost wondering about more scenarios like that, like how you just walked me through kind of what leads to what. And I'm just thinking about other other people within our practice and I'm just I'm really stuck on on this idea that because I think when I read like research papers and things like that that talk about um, depression and talk about lots of other things that that can go on in terms of mental health we we you know because of our practice and what we do we say, you know, I, I bet we could help that person tremendously just by working on their gut, just by working on their nutrition. And I mean, I'm just curious, like how, how important you think that is and how, how deeply tied you think those, those two things are. Because um, while I think they're really important, I also like with the scenario you just walked me through, I can see how the vicious cycle almost has to come, almost has to play itself out before somebody might be willing or able to, to seek help for either their health or their mental health, because it it almost doesn't seem like they go, like they don't seem to get help for them hand in hand, do they? Not often, but they are. So I don't think you can treat one without treating the other, which Mm -hmm. is why 
I reached out to you guys in the first place is I think it, they have to go hand in hand and they both impact each other. And they, in the situation that I mentioned, let's say that you're isolated and you're using running to cope with it. And then maybe you're not, maybe from running so much, your gut gets messed up and then your gut's messed up and different food bothers you. And you're even more hesitant about going out to whatever social event or because all your neurotransmitters are made in your gut, like you're even more depressed and that kind of feeds off itself of low motivation to want to go out and socialize. Um, And kind of that cycle continues um, if we throw like the, your gut in there, I don't think you can tease them apart too easily. But as much as they can bring each other down, I think that whatever level a person's ready to work on, they can impact each other the other way too. Of mm-hmm. you work on your mental health, it's possible that you're going to do some things that improve your health and wellness too, or improve your motivation. And if you work on your gut first, maybe that's going to impact your mood or anxiety enough so that you can work on some of the mental health stuff. Um, They both can kind of help each other out too and give someone a little bit more space to look at what's going on. Because if you're so overwhelmed with depression or on the flip side, if you're so overwhelmed with your gut, like that's just you can't really do too much, but once you start to create a little bit of space by working on one or the other, then you can kind of have your eyes open to making more positive changes. I'm curious if you've ever worked with anybody who was depressed because they were sick, because, because, you know, we were working more and more with people who have, you know, chronic illness, right? So they've been sick for a very long time and it's obviously it's affected everything, you know? So it's almost like you're, your mental health has been directly impacted by your illness. And and I mean, I've definitely seen that with, with everybody really like the more someone comes in, let's say that they've got a, it's for everybody. So I'll give you a couple examples. If they come in with an eating disorder and then we get, they've been starving because they've been starving their guts messed up. They don't have any neurotransmitters. They start eating more. Um, their mood imp- increases. They they feel less depressed because they're more well nourished. May I I would have to do very little on the mental health side specifically um, to get someone feeling better if they're coming in malnourished because once they start eating, they're going to start feeling less anxious, less depressed. And I've had people who have addiction, let's say, and the more that you're drinking alcohol consistently, that definitely is a depressant. So the less that you're drinking, that's going to impact your mood. Mm -hmm. Um, I had actually, I've had a couple clients who ended up being diagnosed with celiacs. Um, One had been diagnosed with Asperger's one, was diagnosed with bipolar. And as soon as they cleaned up their diet, those things improved dramatically. Um, They still had some work to do. That wasn't the whole story, but that was such a large bulk of the story that once they got on a specific diet, the the work became much more manageable. So it's pretty incredible. I, I have yet to see a case where improving your health hasn't impacted mental health. That's really interesting. I mean, I, I'm just, it's always fascinating to me. It's like clearly, 
you know, clearly they are linked and, and as, as easy as it is to talk about them, like they're, you know, two separate things, your health and your mental health. Like, obviously it's like they're inextricably connected. I'm just wondering like why, why we deal with them on such different, on such different levels. Like why, why they're so, so separate all the time. It's frustrating, you know? <laughs> because it's, it's just I like, 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's just one of those uh, good old Western medicine thing that separates everything else. And you get like the, the heart specialist who doesn't yes. talk to the GP who doesn't talk to the ear, nose and throat or the GI doctor or whatever it might be. And I think we've separated it out like physical and mental health and and you can't tease them apart that much. Like they have to be in or I think in order to be effective, Mm -hmm. they need to be considered together. Like you can put a bandaid on stuff and you can work on stuff, but you're not going to help the whole person unless you address the whole person. So I think it's important to take a look at, at both sides. No, it's, it, seems, it seems ridiculously important to me. I'm just wondering from your side, I mean, when you're working with people, how willing are other physicians to, to communicate and to, you mean, I mean, you maybe you have a different perspective because you're, you're clearly, you know, up on this stuff and you're, you're invested in, in making these things happen for people. But I mean, maybe earlier in your career, maybe you, you saw like how willing are other people's other physicians, they're more of their, you know, physical side physicians, how, how well do they work within a a holistic approach to treating someone who has both a mental illness and a physical illness? I think uh, usually people will kind of refer out, like either they'll do a bandaid kind of thing, like, oh, you go into your GP person and you say, I'm feeling sad. And they write you a prescription for Prozac. That's Mm -hmm. one scenario. Or the other scenario is they say, you know what, that's out of my scope. Why don't you go see whatever specialist, whether it be a psychiatrist or a therapist. So it's a rare case where someone is going to be treating both. Mm. Um, I've seen that people generally are willing to at least chat a little bit. If I approach them of like, hey, let's, if I approach a doctor and say, hey, let's Let's work on this together. What do you think about that? Most of them are willing to chat. I really like working with chiropractors and functional medicine doctors and more holistic people. They seem to be more open to looking at the whole person and incorporating both aspects. I mean, it's good to hear, but it's also, you know, it's frustrating. We talk about this all the time about, you know, when my husband was ill, he went to the doctor who referred him to the gastroenterologist. And the gastroenterologist didn't even ask him what he was eating. They didn't ask him about his diet at all before they recommended him having like a colonoscopy and all these really invasive tests. And, and that was where I really drew, drew the line. Like I just said, we're done with wow. this because, you know, he came home and told me that. And I was just like, if they're not doing, I mean, they're not even asking the question. Like that means they don't even think that there's a connection between what you're eating and when what's happening to you. So we're done with that route. So we're just going to go the other way. I'm so glad that we did because I just, I think those specialties and that, that, you know, I think it's great that there's people who are, you know, Western medicine is wonderful. If you, you need, you know, you've got a broken arm and you need surgery and you've got, you know, any acute 
really acute problem. But when it comes to these chronic issues, I, I wish people would be a little bit more skeptical and a little bit more questioning and a little bit persevere a little bit harder to, to find somebody to work with that's going to really ask all of the questions and try to put all of the pieces together because it's never simple. You know, it's never it's never that simple when it comes to your your overall health and your mental health. I don't think it's ever easy to just say, oh, well, here, you know, here's a prescription, take that. It's never, I don't think it's ever, <laughs> ever that quick <laughs> in terms of. No, I mean, it. part of me says I, I wish that it was. And there's a, that with a, a butterfly when they're, and it's kind of cheesy, but whatever. Mm -hmm. um, with a butterfly, sometimes you see cocoon and you can see it flapping around uh, like the butterfly is struggling to get out of its cocoon and part of you might think like it's a you want to help it so you crack open the cocoon and the butterfly comes out but butterflies die if you do that mm. it's actually the struggling to get out of the cocoon that makes a butterfly strong enough to fly and I think it's kind of like that in most of life, like the quick fix, easy answer, like I don't want to tolerate a struggle, um, rob someone of getting a lot of strength in order to be able to fly and do what they were meant to do. Mm, that's a really good analogy. I really like that. Yeah. I mean, cause part of it, part of what we do too, I mean, the reason why we work with the people that we work with is because they're ready. You know, I mean, we like working mm -hmm. with athletes because they will do what we tell them to do and they will get better. Um, right. That's just the type of people that they are. But with that comes, you know, we have to be responsible and making sure that we're making that they're, they're fully understanding what it means to recover and what it means to be healthy. And they're setting realistic goals and they're, they're prioritizing true health and valuing true health over a performance objective. And um, because that performance objective, while it might be, you know, a goal that you want to attain right now, it doesn't necessarily align with your goals for longevity or health in the long term. So mm -hmm. it's kind of that constant battling. And I know there must be some of this too, that, you know, we haven't talked a lot about just people who aren't necessarily or don't consider themselves athletes, but they're, you know, they still are exercise enthusiasts, but maybe, you know, mothers and, 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 and families and things like that, how this all plays into, you know, in children, because um, we talk mostly on the show about, about raising healthy kids. But mm -hmm. um, I'm just, I'm thinking about the moms who, because I think this is a, a large percentage, like if you have, you know, if you found paleo diet, and you're looking around for podcasts, and this is a podcast that you pick, I think, you know, you're probably a little bit more motivated than others um, in the health department. And so one of the questions that, you know, continuously comes up in things that I've read and the groups that I follow and, and, and whatnot is this, um, this so social phenomenon of, you know, the fit mom and the, uh, the, the, the body after baby. And I'm using air quotes here. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, something I really struggle with and, and I'm, I'm, maybe you can help me with this because I'm, I'm having a really hard time wondering if it's, um, if it's my personal objection to it that's causing me to think that it's unhealthy or if it truly is unhealthy. You know, I'm very much about, you know, holistic birth and a nourishing birth. And, you know, I've, I think I've made it pretty clear in all the people I've interviewed on my podcast about where I stand with, with, with birth and all those things. And so I think that goes well into postpartum. And, and while I think you should be as healthy as you can be going into birth, 
and afterbirth, you know, for you and your baby. I think there's quite a line there of what is good and healthy in terms of fitness and health post baby and what is what is not. And that maybe it's more of like the social pr- pressure thing that I have objection to, but I'm just wondering if that's something that you see as well and um, something that could be causing more harm than good. Yeah, I think there's definitely with, especially with social media, um, all the Snapchat and Instagram and stuff like that, looking mm-hmm. at fit moms, but you look at a distinction between fit versus healthy. Yeah. And I think that that's a really, that again, needs to be pretty individualized of looking at like, okay, well, maybe you're fit, but are you healthy? And also beyond that, like, maybe you're fit, but what else is going on in your life? Like, how are your relationships? Like, how are you doing managing the emotion of having like your life change of having a baby and having the dynamics of your family change? Like, how are you managing all that stuff? Or are you putting all of your effort and focus, like avoiding maybe some other things and just focusing on what you can control and what you can control is that you look fit. I'm sure there's for every person, there's their own Mm -hmm. set of reasons why they may be kind of drawn into wanting to meet that ideal, I guess for some people an ideal of being like uber fit, like days after their pregnancy. Um, But I think you just have to, again, go back to looking at how do you keep it in the balance? And at the end of the day, why are you doing it? And what's the most important kind of thing? Like what you put your focus on often leads to what you value. And is that exactly what you value? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is yes, then I guess I would (laughs) be healthy. But I would imagine for most people, if they take a step back, there's some psychological reason, either they're avoiding something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's masking something else, kind of like like, yeah. like what we talked about before with the running, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's that vicious cycle of you run because it's the only thing that makes you feel good and you've just hidden all this other stuff underneath the running. <laughs> so peeling, peeling that back, what, what's under there, what's causing yeah. it. And you can only run for like literally and figuratively you can only run for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, at one point or another, like some stuff comes to a head and people hopefully change and, and fix stuff or are willing to get help. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, this, we could clearly go on and on and on talking about all of this stuff, but um, you know, if, if, if somebody is listening and they're, they're concerned that maybe they have you know, stuff that they need to work on, you know, what are some of the questions that, that people should ask themselves if they're thinking that, that maybe they have some, some things that they need to work on with, with someone like yourself, what would, what would be some of the questions that someone would kind of you know, need to ask to evaluate if they were ready to kind of get help with some of this stuff? First thing, if they're thinking that they might have an issue with it, they probably have an issue with it. Mm. If it's kind of striking some sort of a nerve of like, maybe, and then they're, especially if there's some sort of a resistance or a denial, like, it's not that bad or it's blah, blah, blah. Pay attention to that. If, if you're listening and have some sort of strong reaction of identifying or on the flip side being like, no, 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 that's not like me. I'm fine. Just be, be curious about it. And then if you can start being curious of like, 
what that might be serving, like what else is going on in your life, like why that may be out of balance and starting to think of what you would like to put back into your life, focus on more to get things back into balance. And then every day when possible, take a step towards those other goals and priorities. Like if it's family or relationships or laughter or rest or whatever it might be, like think every day, like how can I take at least one step today towards that thing that I value to get my life more into balance? And if it starts where you do that and you notice a lot of resistance or maybe you don't know how, like what those steps would look like exactly, or you take those steps and you notice that you start feeling a lot more anxious or a lot more sad, um, then it's worthwhile seeking some help. There's not any shame in doing that. Um, It doesn't ever have to be a forever kind of thing or a stigmatized kind of thing. Everyone needs some help. So I just look for a provider nearby. Well, that's really good, solid advice. Thank you for that. Um, awesome. Well, where can people connect with you, find out more about with, about you or working with you? I am online in two places. Um, I have a website that's ericaholmsmft.com, E-R-I-K-A-H-O-L-M-E-S-M-F-T.com. And I also have a private practice in Denver, and that is under coloradocft.com. Okay, that's awesome. Well, it's been really wonderful talking to you. I, I hope that we can figure out a way to work together more in the future because I think that the people that we work with and the people that you work with could both benefit from from our shared perspectives on, on holistic health. And um, I'm glad that you're out there fighting the good fight <laughs> for these people. Uh, likewise. Awesome. Well, it was great talking to you and thanks for joining us. Thank you.